Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. My name is Zachary Bader Shamai. And I am Eddie Meredith. And we are now three weeks deep into the OUA season. Storylines are starting to reveal themselves. Speculation that maybe wasn't accurate is starting to unfold and things that we might have hit the nail on the head on. Maybe we're getting closer to finding those out, but a ton of cool stuff happening around the OUA and uh, we're going to be your tour guides through week three and what's coming up in week four. Yeah, we're going to hit you with a preview of the games to come, a review of the games that passed, and we're going to look around Canada. We're going to look at the Canada West Conference and the RCQ just to figure out sort of how things are shaping up and we'll give our own take on the uh, the the U Sports Top 10 because it was an interesting one. Something needs to be said there. <laughs> yeah, uh, the OUA Twitter scene, well, the U Sports Twitter scene was uh, actually pretty interesting this week. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, Took note of what happened there. So if you're not if you're not abreast of what's going on, we will fill you in with all the juicy details. Um, and if you're not, that was a really good cliffhanger. So you have to you have to stay for the whole episode. Tune now. in next time because we're gonna put that at the end now. Exactly. Um, so or maybe ha- we won't. You have to listen to the whole thing. There you go. So make sure to stay tuned regardless because we have some great stuff coming your way. And let's kick it off with the review of week three. So let's start off week three as the week itself started off, which was the Windsor. York game, which battled two 0-2 teams, but it was fairly interesting going into it for a couple of reasons. One, as we had talked about, and I know something you were passionate about, was how both these teams played this game on three days rest, and that mer- that that you could make an argu- a strong argument that that played a factor into the start of this game. Also, just two teams that while they're they are 0-2. Um, have shown promises this year, particularly in in the passing game. Uh, but let's start with that first point, because um, if, if you didn't listen to our, our last week's episode, we kind of talked about how the schedule wasn't, they didn't do a great job with it in planning it out. And this was probably the worst example of uh, how that went awry. It, it has to be. I mean, this is a three-day rest week. Are you kidding? Like, you can't practice the day after a game. That's an active recovery day at best. And maybe mm-hmm. you're watching, I mean, most teams are going to watch film and do some active recovery. Yeah. Then, I mean, in a normal week, you're talking about that then being the next day is a Monday. So say we have a Saturday to Saturday week. Yeah. Sunday is your active recovery day. Monday, most teams give them that off. Yeah, maybe like a some team function, but nothing like like sport related to the actual sport, maybe. Typically. I mean, yeah. sounds like I remember a Western one year. We did practice on Mondays, but it wasn't a real practice. I know it sucked. I, I, they, they realized that wasn't a good idea uh, mm-hmm. a little later, but it was it was light. It was light. Yeah. And then Tuesday would be a real practice day. Now, so Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, real practice mm-hmm. days. Exactly. Sort of. And people would taper off on Thursday. Now, what these two teams had to deal with. What they had to deal with was a game on Monday. So the next day, Tuesday, active recovery day. Wednesday should be a day off. Should be. But that's the only day of the week they can practice because mm-hmm. the next day was Thursday, the day before the game, where and, you only have a walkthrough typically. And when we look at this specifically from York, uh, from Windsor's perspective, having, you know, I don't know, it's like a roughly five-ish hour travel, six o'clock kickoff here in Toronto. If they were going to, if hypothetically, if they left on Friday, which I hope they didn't, they would have had to leave super early. And if they left on the Thursday, well, then you have, what? You have a practice Wednesday, which is still should be a day off. And then a travel day on Thursday, and maybe you do a walkthrough when you get there. Like, yeah, this is a mess. This is a mess. Uh, no matter how you cut it, no matter what rationale 
the OUA wants to give. This is a, a blunder, and the only thing that makes it better in terms of competitive balancing is that both teams had the same length week being very short. Very true. But again, so we talked about it last week. This is the kind of thing where having this few days rest, this is unconscionable because you don't have that in the NFL. And in the NFL, they only they only have Thursday games because, well, I mean, sorry, you did, this is the same number of rest days. Sure. They only have that because it makes them a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. There's no money. There's no, no extra money being made because it's on a Friday here. And these, and on top of the fact that they're not getting paid, they also recently just started school. Yeah. Um, which means more and less I mean, to different people. But nonetheless, nonetheless it's, it's a I mean, whole it's, it is. extra this, work. This is syllabus week. So fair enough. Know, what, are, what are kids really I guess a good week? time to do some of that travel if you have to. Um, but arguably, it, it did play a factor in this game. If you missed it, final score, York 29, Windsor 22. And, you know, anticipated, highly anticipated for many reasons. Um, but uh, Windsor just sloppy start for them. They came out and they were actually running the ball very effectively to start their first drive, which was a nice change of pace. Because what we've been, um, as my dad says, we've been over romanticizing Windsor and that that should stop now that they are 0-3. But there's still a lot to be uh, interested in this team. But what, we, but what had driven that romanticism is the fact that they have Sam Girard and Alex Bournier as, um, you know, Girard being the QB, Bournier a good, great receiver, and some other, you know, nice pieces on that offense that have really made a splash around the OUA. And so, yeah. when you have a great second-year quarterback, mm-hmm. there's lots of cause for optimism. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, York, York, there's at least something to be said for, well, York's not in a great spot, and it's tough because their quarterback is pretty veteran. But they have something to build around in Sam Girard here. Mm. Girard, Girard. I'm going to go with Girard again because, again, pretentiousness to 10. But Sam Girard is a very good quarterback. Yeah. And, and he's got a lot of potential to grow, hopefully, with with Nesbitt as the OC. And you can already just see, like, they're they're in sync. Like, they're, they're definitely making the most of the talent they have. And we said it before. We'll say it again. The bottom has moved up in the OUA. Yeah. 100%. Like, Windsor could finish 0-8. And they still look better to me than I expected mm-hmm. by quite a lot. For sure. I'll re- I, I, I said this week one, I'll repeat it now, is that with a lot of these teams, and I was referring specifically to Windsor, but you can include York, uh, UFT into that mix as well, uh, arguably. Don't judge them at the end of this year solely based on that record. See what's happening in those programs because there is some very special things happening at some of those programs. But nonetheless, they started off running the ball and moving it well, which was really nice to see because it was a good change of pace. But the first drive stalled. Okay, that's fine. Missed the field goal. Big return on the miss by uh, Alex Daly for York. Took it like out of the end zone to the you know deep into Windsor territory. I think to like the thirty-five or something. And then uh, York punched it in. Okay, fine. Windsor gets the ball back. Driving. End up having to punt this time. They punted away, and I think it was Kadeem Thomas, former Metro guy as well, which kind of saddens me to have to say this. But fumbles the punt, wins and recovers. So what do they do this time with the ball? Nothing again. Punts it away. And not only do they have to punch it away, but York fumbles another punt. This time not Kadeem. I, I forget the second returner's name. I don't know if maybe, maybe he got injured, which is why they pulled him. I, I, I don't think so. I guess maybe just a short leash. But either way, York retained it, I think, due to a penalty. But terrible start. York drives the field, scoring points. I think Windsor had another punt blocked it wasn't really until i think midway through the second that it looked like you know windsor had the proverbial sleep out of their eyes they were kind of ready to go because for the rest of the game you know it was, it was it was back and forth they had two teams just 
were looked as evenly matched uh, roughly as we kind of anticipated with this one. Yeah, so this is kind of the sloppiness that we expected to see from such a short week. Yeah. And there's not much else you can say about that. Like, these are these are two teams that they're both going to make mistakes. Windsor, more youthful mistakes. York. I mean, just every, every team's going to make mistakes. But on, on three days rest, mm-hmm. there's going to be more of them. Absolutely. And on York's side of the ball, of course, uh, that offense is all about the the brothers Hunchak, Brett Sling and the Rock, who last week against Guelph set York's all time um, completion or yeah completion and uh, yards record as a quarterback. And then this week on their first or second drive on just a pass over the middle to his brother Colton, uh, Colton now uh, Colton became York's leader for receptions, standing in at uh, um where was it um. Oh my, where is it? Okay, yeah, he at 126 receptions now all time for York. Uh, the, o, the the all time OUA record is uh, 192, so a ways to go if he wants to even get in conversation for that. But regardless, this is obviously a great passing duo that York has in these two brothers, um, setting records for York, and people can laugh at York, but there is there is like history to this team. There are great players who have gone through this franchise and this is a strong receiving core overall i think that you would probably say that's the strength of this team i mean when when things aren't working i would say it's more typically the problem is protection mm. uh and then sometimes you know brett is up and down he's a good quarterback but he he can be in his own head and he can make sort of up up and down plays so i, I you know colton's obviously one of the elite receivers in this conference but i think their full complement's good eric kimberly's good alex daly's good luker uh, Luther Hakuna Van Hu is good. Vincent Reale, pretty good. So, like, this is a good group of players. And uh, and I think that was on full display. The ball got distributed pretty well. Obviously, Colton is the favorite target. But Eric Kimberly had eight receptions for 71 yards on the day. Alex Daly, four for 34. Luther, three for 27. It looked like a good passing game today. No, it did. And, and we'd be remiss without giving props to York's defense, which forced a turnover on downs. In a goal line situation, uh, I'm trying to remember when that happened. I think it was in the second half when it started to be a more competitive game, or even actually it might have been. It was late, late first half, and you know I'm I'm totally fine with that call because yeah, it was it was late in the second quarter. They had you know first and goal from like the nine or something. They got down to the two, went for the rush. They didn't get it. I mean, I think it, it resulted in a safety. So it's one of those plays where. You go for the you go for the touchdown, but you're not harmed all that much if you if you if you don't get it. But regardless of the rationale in making the call, you know, big ups to York for stopping that. I mean, we talk all the time, or specifically as former offensive lineman, or pardon me, I shouldn't say former because obviously we're still holding hope with uh, you getting back in the league. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> but you know, you all you know, countless times we've been coached as offensive linemen with the extra with the yard uh, separation o-line d-line in canadian football that you should dominate those situations goal line stands should always be the offense to win um definitely definitely an advantage to them and of course knowing the snap count and all that other jazz uh so big ups to york on that stop proving to be pivotal pivotal in uh what was ultimately a close game yeah and also you know i just wanted to mention uh i i really like the way kentner and gainer play the two backs for windsor Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a very young offensive line, and it's a pass-centric team, both due to Windsor often being behind in the game script, and that just being the strength of their their team at the moment is is the receivers and quarterback. Mm-hmm. But I think both of these backs are quite good. So 
worth mentioning another instance of players on, you know, in situations that aren't going to let them shine, who I think deserve uh, some love. Yeah, and I, 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 you know, some people would call those situations empty stats. No, you you earn everything you get in, in this league and just playing this game. Nothing nothing comes easy. Nothing is um, given, yeah. Uh, so York will be taking their one-game win streak on the road uh, this next week as they visit the TD Stadium in London. So I think it's fair to say that that's not going to become a two-game win streak. Sorry, Lion Faithful. But... Not only do I believe that is fair to say, <laughs> I think it's vital. I mean, like, yeah, you're, this isn't going to be a very watchable game, unfortunately, and that's something that OUA fans are used to seeing in you know in a season to have quite a few games that aren't watchable. Some that you can hold out hope for. This doesn't look like one of them, unless Western plays all their backups. Um, no offense to York, Western just will outclass them. Yeah, um, but nothing against where York is, uh, you know, trajecting right now because they are they do have some good things in place and uh, uh windsor will return home hopefully they'll get some good rest in the uh coming week uh and get set for guelph to come play them and while calling western over york might not be a hot take by any imaginable means this windsor guelph game we'll get into a little bit more later when we do our actual preview this intrigues if you many, want to go out on a limb, this is the limb to go this out. This is on. if 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 you're like trying I'm not to... I'm not saying when I'm not saying Windsor wins. I'm not even saying Guelph doesn't beat them badly, but yeah. I'm saying there is a chance. There is uh, uh, yeah, a stronger than just 50-50 or I don't know what it is, but if there were if there were a pro line or something for OUA football, this would be that game where it's like you want to try and make some money, put something down on this one. This is a contrarian pick. Yeah, because um, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that Windsor can do, it'll mat, it'll be match up well with Guelph. Mm-hmm. Their passing game is the strength of their team. Guelph is going to run the ball a lot, so Guelph's going to chew up the clock. If Windsor can have a few good possessions, score a few times, who knows? They might be able to stick around in this game. Then anything can happen. Who knows? And you know, it it was shown also this week that Guelph's mighty run game can in fact be stopped. Uh, they were visiting the Ottawa GGs this week. A game which, for Guelph fans, was o2 reminiscent of their Week One matchup at MAC. They end up dropping this one 12 to 10, and ugh, just where do you want to begin on this one? Should we, should we, should we talk about the good things we saw for Ottawa, from Ottawa because they deserve this this win? I mean, 12 10 is a bit of an ugly score, but the, you know they 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 played well. Well, let, let's let's talk about something really quick that's interesting. Sure, and that's. If you take a look at the time of possession, it was a pretty big discrepancy between Ottawa and Guelph. 35 to, sorry, 35 and a half to 24 and a half, Ottawa led Guelph in time of possession. Yeah. And where that showed up most was in the number of offensive plays run. Mm. So this is really interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen only 48 offensive plays run in a game, which is the number Guelph had. And when you look at it, when you, when you break it down, Theo was 9 of 19. So that means take 10 of those off the board right. as plays that could have gained any yards potentially. And so then take a look at 38. Down to 38. Yeah. And then take a look at the defensive stats. And you can see that there were 10 tackles for losses mm. in this game by Ottawa. Ottawa forced 10. So now that's seven sacks. And three tackles for loss because the way that the OUA does this, they conflate tackles for loss and sacks. They count them sure. 
identically. So that's pretty staggering. Like you think mm-hmm. about the number, you have to do pretty well offensively to hang in a game in a way and still lose that many yards. It's weird. For sure. And, you know, I, I kind of joked about that this game showed that you could stop Guelph's running attack. Once again, and you kind of look at the numbers, it doesn't quite bear that out as easily as you think it would. You know, because you had Jamal Hooker leading the way 10 attempts and 57 yards. And 57 is not going to blow your socks off, but that does average out to a, five and a 5.7 um, uh, yards per carry, which, you know, if that were to work out over a larger uh, workload, that's a great day. Um, but what I saw is, and maybe this is why they, they tried to stay away from the run game a bit or turned away from it, was it looked like Ottawa kind of just, you know, looked well from the eye and said, hey, we know you can't pass that well. We know you're going to want to run. So we're going to do everything we can, 50 fronts a few times, bringing pressures. I mean, you could see just by those numbers of sacks and TFLs that they were they, they were getting after it in the front six, front seven, and just said, you know, we got Grease, we got Harry, we got Cranston. We'll man them up, try and beat us. Yeah, and- we're, we're, they're going to be good on the back end. Everyone's going to have a tough day with the Ottawa DBs, but it was assumed that the Ottawa run D would be a little more porous. Nope, not anymore. No, they, they, they look stout, and we talked about uh, Tremaine Steven uh, being the main run stopper for them in the, in the middle at, at DT. Um, but uh, another guy that stood out that the name caught me off guard was Rashawn Davis, defensive end wearing 92. And, you know, the name didn't ring any bells from anything I'd heard about or read about so far this year. And then I looked into a bit more, and this was his first game, and he was credited with uh, one and a half sacks. Um, but on top of that, you could just see watching the game, like he was he was disruptive. He was you know getting into the backfield. He was making guys uncomfortable, making uh, running backs uh, choose different lanes. They weren't getting outside on him. Uh, so I don't know what why he wasn't in their first two games. But quick correction, yeah. that's actually two and a half sacks. Oh geez, wow. So he had he had a nice day. So definitely a good game. Um, yeah. So you know something to look out for because we talk about this defense kind of being. Um, top down, top being your secondary to linebackers to D-line, and that being where their strengths lie. But they're showing that they're just a stout defense across the board. Um, and, and another guy for on Ottawa's side that was in the week one, but we weren't seeing week two, was probably the star of the show for them, um, O'Day. On offense, yeah. On, on offense, yeah. Um, finishing with a game high of... Uh, with a game high of 153 on 30 attempts. Yeah, touch, so yeah. I was talking to a, a former Ottawa player, and he was saying that they... We saw in game one, O'Day getting carries at running back, and then in game two, Bryce Fiera took over running back, so we'll just assume O'Day was injured. O'Day is now the RB1, and Fiera is working out of the slot because that's what he sort of needs for his CFL resume. That's part of why he came back to school was to get that that extra film of him being mm. a receiver and showing his capacity to be effective in the passing game and not just as a blocker in uh out of the the backfield but but as a as a receiver. So that's what Vieira has been doing and obviously last game he showed you well he can do both. And yeah. obviously we knew that he's one of the best players in the conference, very dynamic. Uh but o- O'Day looked fantastic and he had 30 carries. That's a nice that's a nice hefty workload. So um, I mean compared to Guelph's guys, yeah. yeah. And and to your point you can only pull that off as Vieira and as uh, the Gigi's if you have a running back that can hold it down for you 
because um, I think we met, I mentioned this uh, before where with Johnny Augustine for Guelph, similar situation. He got sent back from Edmonton and they were asking if they could see more, get him get more reps at a receiver slot position. And Guelph conceded that at first. But then when they realized that without him running the ball, that that became, I don't know, of a weakness, but that as, as a team, they were better served just keeping him in the running, in the backfield. That's what they ultimately had to do. So if O'Day is able to keep putting up this kind of production, uh, you know, it works great for all parties. Obviously, that's those are numbers that you'll take any day from your starting running back. You get Vieira to open up in the slot. You can bomber him into the backfield, do a lot of ton stuff, uh, a lot of fun stuff. This just gives a, a lot of free range for an offense coordinator to just dig deep into the vault of their creativity and say, I got some horses here. Let's see what we can draw up. Yeah, absolutely. And you see that happening at Western too with Alex Taylor playing more right. W, more slot receiver, and Cedric Joseph taking over the load as the RB1. Mm. Uh, so yeah, and, and really, I mean, Vieira is, this is a play about getting your best receivers, best players on the field as well, because Vieira is a great player, as is O'Day. O'Day is quite good too. So really outside of Carter Matheson, I mean, I think he's clearly their, their best receiver on Ottawa. So getting Vieira out there running routes is, is very helpful. No, it's I, honestly Ottawa is slowly, and I don't know if this just comes from a lack of knowledge on my part going into the season, but for me, this team has turned into a massive sleeper pick to maybe make some noise later in this year. They have, I mean, obviously that they that loss to the Laurier wasn't great, but they've shown positive, like everything you want to see from them, and so just about making getting those reps as a team. If O'Day was hurt, making sure that everyone's at full strength, um, and they can make some noise. Uh, moving back to the Guelph side, when we talk about players that have been missing, one name in particular that could, well, actually both these names are huge for them, but, you know, starting off with Kean Schaefer-Baker, missed the first two games, um, and he is, if you watch this game, if or if you go to the stats, only two receptions, 51 yards, so on average, that's actually pretty nice, but these two catches, if you missed it, they're all over OUA and Guelph Instagram. We talked about Nigel for Carlton last week having the, the Moss touchdown going up over the defender. This was some OBJ styling that Kean put on. Oh my goodness. That was special. That was two catches, one over the middle, the sort of you know archetype of the what the OBJ is, the full extension one-hander going up in traffic. With a huge vert, too. Like, he really climbed the ladder to get that. On yeah. the run. Huge vert on the run. And then the second one, not as impressive on its as a catch on its own. And, and I shouldn't even say that because I don't mean to take anything away from it. But on the sideline, falling backwards, his hands were, like, way above his head. Just, oof. So, I mean. I think the two most impressive, impressive catches of the week that I saw. Oh, easily. Yeah. E yeah. No, no doubt there. So good to have him back. He was only, from what I understand, he was only cleared the day before the game. So at first I was watching and I was like, man, he's still out. Like, what is what is going on here? Like, is he going to miss the year? I guess they were trying to integrate him in a little more uh, gently, so to speak. And uh, so we'll look for him just to get more and more touches. You know, this the receiving group's not bad, especially when you add him and Zeph Frazier, the standout for the game, having the one, uh, one touchdown for them, uh, 103 yards in the air. Uh, or receiving, I should say, the one long 85, which was on Jamie Harry, which is something that you can probably, he'll probably, Zeph will just keep forever because that's a great moment to have. I, it, it looked like maybe it was a blown coverage where Harry might have been expecting help over top, but 
either way, it doesn't matter. You can go to your grade being like, yeah, I got 85 yards on Jamie Harry. No big deal. Um, but then the, the other player to mention for Guelph that um, made a return, Andy McFalls, the guy that we had anticipated would be replacing left tackle Jalen Guthrie, uh, who then got injured in training camp, and they were using rookie LaPointe to fill in. And he was actually looking good because the run game obviously was not an issue, or their pass pro for that matter, in the first couple of games. McFall's back in the fold, and you know, it like looked fine. I, I think it's only a matter of time now, maybe another week or two, till Guthrie's back, anyways, and that will really solidify that O line. So. Well, you know, I don't want you to have to say it because you'll sound like a Guelph homer if you do. And I <laughs> went to Western, so I'm not going to give Guelph any praise that they do not earn. But this Guelph offensive line unit is outstanding. Mm. When they're fully healthy, if they have everybody. I hope they go six or seven offensive linemen on the field at any given time so they can just pound the rock on people because that is a special group. I mean, Eric yeah. Starkzala, I think right now, best tackle in the OUA. Who's played so far? Guthrie and, and David Brown at Western. Two guys who've been sidelined so far this year who we expect to make returns midseason. Uh, maybe even, you know, Brown. I think he might see a little bit of game action this week. Unclear, but not a full game for sure. Mm-hmm. Coming off an ACL, and then Jalen Guthrie with the shoulder. I think what do we think midseason. Yeah, I, maybe I, next week, maybe the week after. I, I, you know, I think I was told four. I think I was told week four. Yeah, he's back in pads. So I don't know if that means he'd already he's already started doing some rehab now, or or some like light work in practice or what have you, or whether it's he's stepping on the field for the first time. But I'd expect fairly within the next. Two, Two, three at the latest, I, more weeks, I, I would say is fair. Yeah, so, I mean, like, this Guelph offensive line, I, I, you know, I think is the best in the country. I really do. And they it didn't bear out this week in terms of their ability to run the ball, but also they just didn't run the ball that yeah. many times. No, it definitely, it was a, a weird game. Um, almost felt a little lethargic at times. But for Ottawa, a great win going into their bye week, which there then, then leads them into the, the 50th anniversary of the Panda game, which... You know, undoubtedly is going to be a, a huge, um, a, a huge battle. Or, or sorry, actually, I have that wrong. They play; they're at home for York, and then it's the the Panda game the week after that. But you know, a great position for them, as you know, we 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 we've talked about it already, and we'll talk about some more. That kind of middle class in the OUA is where there is the most um, congestion. So being able to separate yourself against a team that's in that same order, mass. Correct. And right now, they're at the top of that. Mm-hmm. The the tiers, as they're breaking down right now, look to be something like Western and Laurie at the top, and then quite a big gulf uh, between them and the second tier, which Ottawa appears to be taking the lead on. Mm-hmm. Who else is in that second tier? Well, I think Carlton and Waterloo, Mac, Guelph, and maybe Queens. Maybe I mean, Queens. Que- Queens is in there, but prob- I mean, right now, with what we've seen towards the bottom. And Queens getting no breaks for the rest of the season, which I guess leads us nicely into their game this week uh, against U of T in Kingston. Final score, Queens 43, U of T 7, and not, not, really not all that much to say about this one. It kind of was, it was just ugly. It was really, really ugly. It was um, hard to watch. Yeah. And because of that, I you know, I watched I watched as much of it as I could, but you know, Queens ran away with this game very early on. Obviously, Clay Sakira, the quarterback for Toronto, really couldn't get much going. 
he himself was responsible for, I mean, he was the largest contributor for them on the ground. So they, they had a few successful run plays, but, mm-hmm. you know, like their receivers were the ones really contributing in the run game on sort of end arounds and receiver motion handoffs. Just trying to do anything to get that ball moving. Trying to do anything. And, and Nate Hobbs had a nice bounce back game. Definitely. And it's it's important to note because the U of T defense is not bad. And they are the most, in my opinion, scheme diverse defense in the OUA. Mm. And that's, that's an opinion uh, shared by coaches. I mean, they do a lot of different things. They'll have, as people who remember Greg Marshall's defense when he was at Queens, they'll do a lot of Cowboy Indian stuff. They'll do three-man fronts, walk linebackers all around. Sometimes they'll bring Sting. They just do tons of stuff that make it very difficult to, you know, figure out what they're going to be doing and, and, and make it difficult for offensive linemen to block. It's kind of like the defensive equivalent, uh, how we've talked about with some of these teams, you know, Windsor, literally Windsor, Toronto, New York, where, you know what, across the board, they don't have the most talent. They're relying on the passing game because – you catch a team sleeping one day, and if you put up a bunch of yards in the air, that's a quick way to put up points. You can also get burned by that. Similarly, using these, uh, you know, d- scheme-heavy, d- multiple-front defenses, yeah, if you get caught out of place, two guys in a gap, you can get burned. But you can also catch an O-line m- missing up their assignments and make some big plays as well. So it's, you know, it, it's a strategy that, I mean, well, didn't work. It hasn't worked yet for U of T, but... I, I, I see the merit in it, for sure. Yeah, and there are good players on U of T's defense. Definitely, uh, Specifically, yeah. I want to highlight Malcolm Campbell, mm. number four. He's a defensive end for them. And he had two sacks on the day. I'll take that. Uh, well, not a bad day. <laughs> and if you watch the film, if you if you get a chance to watch U of T, he's a guy who, if you're just looking for physical specimens, guys who can play, he's one of them. I don't think he'll end up getting all-star consideration because defensive end is pretty deep this year. And U of T is a losing team. But he's a guy to watch out for. In fact, both their defensive ends are pretty good. Malcolm Campbell's a guy to watch. I think he's a legit CFL prospect. Their other defensive end, Carter Gladman, quite good as well. Mm. Bull rush guy. That's really all he's going to bring. Veteran but presence. He, I think he's a fourth, fifth-year guy. Correct. He's yeah. an older guy. And so, not a bad defensive line. Makai Henry, also pretty good. Like, this is not a bad defense. So, the fact that Queens did this to them, this is something... Something to take note of for Queens. De- definitely. And even going back to the Waterloo game last week with U of T, we talked about, oh, we keep talking about Trey Ford's production, not only as a passer, but as a runner too. Not all those runs he was having were designed or just, you know, the coverage is great. Let me find a way out. He was get, like, U of T got some pressure on him too. Um, so I, I agree. Uh, definitely a strong defensive front and, you know, doing things to try and confuse your opponent. Um, another guy to stand out, uh, Caleb Zigby, if, for any reason, or if solely for the reason that he's responsible for UFT's only points of the day with uh, a pick six in the mid-third or late late fourth quarter. Uh, either way, pick six, I always got to give a shout-out to that. Um, but, all, you know, it's going going back to Queens and, and Nate Hobbs in particular, like I said, good bounce-back game, 386, uh, 386 yards in the air, uh, which is the third-highest mark for any quarterback so far this year. Um, so impressive, uh, regardless of competition. And he netted two more touchdowns on the ground. One was just kind of the classic, almost Tom Brady plunge over the line from the one. Another, he did put on a little bit of wheels to get to the outside. But with those two touchdowns, that actually puts him at 11 for his career, setting Queen's record for quarterbacks, uh, rushing touchdown record. Um, so big ups to a guy that we kind of joke when you compare him with some of the other 
quarterbacks in this league is is far from what we'd call mobile. But you know what? He's obviously he knows how to put that ball in the end zone. He sure does. Yeah. He, had a, he had a great day if you had him in fantasy football. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should get that started. Let's, let's, probably, do, let's do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll start the fantasy football and the uh, OUA pro lines. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll break all the rules. Um, yeah, and so in the way that his yards uh, were distributed, unsurprisingly, Chris Osikusi led the way with eight receptions for 111 yards. One of the best receivers in the league. Obviously had a tough day against Laurier, uh, which... Many people uh, are going to say come in. Many people are going to because, yeah. you know, we thought that they would be weak, weaker in the defensive backcourt. Not so. I mean, well, they are weaker, but they're not weak. They're yeah. quite strong still. So We'll definitely get a good sense of that after next week, but not to get too, not to get too far ahead. Yeah, of course. So, and the ball was also, you know, distributed pretty well. Benjamin Arhan had uh, four for 101 mm-hmm. uh, and a 61-yarder. Uh, Mateo Del Baraco had five for 67. And then from there, you know, two for 35 for Marquise Richards, and, the, the fullback. And you, you mentioned RN uh, with 101 yards. I, I think I saw somewhere on like Queens's uh, press release they did. He's only only second year guy from Brampton, but his yardage total for his career, I think, was 50 yards. So he's over doubled his career output as a receiver. So that's always a nice day. Um, that's how you do it. You just got to double it every week. Exactly. If, um, and of course you can't talk about this game without giving a shout out to Nathan Langley, the, uh, backup first year running back, uh, out of Burlington who had the, uh, kick return touchdown to start the game off, which is always such a pleasure to see. I mean, I, I get that, you know, with, with the way football's evolving and people trying to make it more safe, that is one of the areas that kind of has been speculated on. Maybe we're going to lose it, but it's still so much fun to see a guy break a long run, whether they take it to the house or not. That's how you start a game with a bang. That's definitely, and um, but as we kind of mentioned, Queens as of right now they're in that mix in the middle class in the OUA, sitting at two and one, which depending on point differential, I don't know off the top of my head, has them at third or fourth or you know tied in, in one of those spots. But their next the, or the the way their schedule plays out is rough. They're going to Carleton next week, then they're at Guelph for Guelph's homecoming, home for Western, on the road to Mac, and then they finish at home against Ottawa. And not only is that is that tough competition, but those are those four out of those five games. You know, the one exception being Western are teams that you're going to be directly competing with for playoff standing, which could work in their favor. Because if they take one of those games or two or three, who knows? Then you're not necessarily playing the scoreboard watching game where you're you know you finish and then you're like, oh my god, we need so and so to lose. You're you're increasing your own team's success obviously with the win, and you're harming someone directly in competition to you. So. That could play in their favor, but obviously it could work against them. And on paper, I'd probably put them as an underdog for, man, especially taking into account, uh, you know, the travel on some of those games. I, I'd say they're an underdog in just about every one. But not a massive underdog no, no. in any of them. So, no. I mean, they just, you know, they don't only have to take a couple of them. Yeah. But I think what's interesting this year is like last year and like many years in this conference, playoff berths whether they make the playoffs or not, whether you finish in, you know, fourth or fifth or sixth, it will come down to tiebreakers. It will come mm-hmm. down to head-to-head tiebreakers. So a lot of teams are going to finish between four and four and five and three. Definitely. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, the, you know, it, it's going to be a fun ride throughout the rest of the season. Uh, all the more reason for you to stay tuned to this lovely podcast that we have here. Keep it tuned. Keep it locked. 
Uh, UFT traveling down to Ron Joyce in Hamilton next week to take on Mac. Um, yeah, probably a solid W in the in the books for for Mac. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to them in a second. Last game we'll cover before though. Um, Carlton Waterloo. Uh, another game that I think we put it as one of our games of the week. In fact, I, I'm certain of that. A lot of intrigue in this one, too. Um, dating back to even last year where Waterloo going out to Ottawa, taking out the Ravens, really kind of cemented them with this sort of new culture they have of, like, we're here, we're no joke, and, like, we're going to punch you in the mouth. Final score, though, Carlton 21, Waterloo 18. The game was in uh, Waterloo, so nice little revenge game for the Ravens. Um. And the Trey Ford show keeps on rolling, though. Yeah, it does. Uh, Trey Ford did some Trey Ford-type things in this game quite a few times. <laughs> He's a very special talent. We've said that. We'll continue to say that. We're sort of in awe of him every time we watch him. This game was maybe sort of the, the quintessential game for him. Looking at the stat line, you can see he had 13 attempts for 100 yards, mm. 104. And yeah. uh, and and passing, so that was rushing. Yeah, in case you missed it, that over 100 yards was on the ground. On the ground, in addition to 321 through the air, Hot 29 man. completions on 39 attempts, two touchdowns, and they have one interception here on the stat sheet. That either, I'm not 100% sure. If it, they were talking about maybe it wasn't an interception because it was right before the half, and so the announcer said, over the break that uh, I think they ruled it not an interception. They might have changed their mind. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Completely immaterial. It was dying seconds of the second half. He heaved it up. You don't hold it against him. Correct. Correct. It's one of those, yeah, one of those interceptions that was not costly. Yeah. But there were plays that were costly that he made, and we'll get to that. So this was a sloppy game. Very sloppy game. Seems Um, like a big story from week three were some sloppy games. Yeah, I think the math on it, well, it's it's not clear how many points Waterloo left on the board. But this was a game that I think everybody expected to be a shootout, a really good offensive game. And if you look at the numbers, you look at the total offense, Waterloo had 490 yards of total offense. That should win you a game. Carlton had 346. That could even win you a game. Carlton ran 44 offensive plays. Which is nuts. Like we were talking about with Guelph. Yeah. You rarely see that few offensive plays. Oh, and this man. Is, this is four fewer. <laughs> Waterloo ran 69. So on an average gain per play, Carlton actually outgained Waterloo. And we'll talk about how they did that. Mostly off the back of uh, one, well, one really big catch by, uh, by Dominic Walker, mm. who had two touchdowns on the day. The opening touchdown drive. Ended with a Dominic Walker touchdown on a nice roll by Ruda. That was a you know nicely drawn play action with a with a boot on it. Found the man, uh, found his man. Yeah, and he threw a strike. Yeah, and uh, set up by a um, a very nice the screen play yeah. to Phil Loki. Who mm. Phil Loki, you know, one of the best receivers in this league. Carlton's best guy, and and they have again they have a very good receiving core. They also they they ran the ball decently effectively on the day, but it wasn't a headliner. The headliner on the day was mistakes for both teams. So after the the second drive by Waterloo, Carlton on their second possession should have had a 75-yard catch and run for a touchdown. Carlton had a really nice play design where they did sort of a half rollout to the left, stopping up short, 
this caused the, the safety to go all the way over mm. to the safety's right, the offensive left side of the formation. Opening up a seam pass to Quentin Soares, who blew by his man the, the field half in coverage, and he was super open. And the pass just was not quite on him. And so obviously that, that fell incomplete, seven points off the board. Later in the game, Aruda missed, I guess, a 40-yard touchdown catch, touchdown reception possibility to Phil Aloki, who we underthrew after he beat his coverage down the middle of the field. Waterloo, on the other hand, oh my gosh. So they missed two field goals on the day that were chip shots. The first, okay, they got they got one point out of both. The first one was, I guess you would say, maybe it, I guess it was thirty-five yards. So it wasn't it wasn't an easy kick. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't super. wasn't It wasn't a chip. I guess it'd be unfair to call it a chip. But the first one but was it, a thirty. It should be an average kick or an average kicker. In the well, you you would that. you would think that's something you would make. Yeah. So they lost they lost three points there, or they lost two points because obviously the one point from the Rouge. Mm-hmm. Later they had another, but it was after a Mitch Kernick end zone drop. Mitch Kernick had a pretty good day outside of one really egregious drop where he got hit, you know, in the chest with the ball by Trey Ford, but just bobbled it. And so that was that was six points off the board because they missed the field goal on that next attempt, got another rouge. And for Kernick, that's a, like a bad miss, bad drop, uh, however you want to phrase it, on top of like a, a fairly solid game as is, nine, uh, nine catches, 98 yards on the day, um, going along with Lamb as the... The leaders for for uh, for Waterloo, which is a bit out of what we've come to expect from uh, Waterloo. You expect uh, Mr. Uh, Tyler Ternowski. I will refrain from the dumb monsters ink voice <laughs> I pulled out week two for that one. Um, bit of a slower game. Had the touchdown, but you know when we compare this to what we've seen the Ford Ternowski connection do, you know. No, this this was actually not one of the best games for Tyler because he also had a fumble, which mm-hmm. we'll get to. So, outside of the Kernick drop, Waterloo also had trouble on their punts. They nearly had two blocked. One because it was bobbled. Uh, it was it was it was dribbled to the punter by the long snapper, and the punter fumbled around with it for a minute. Fortunately, Carlton didn't rush, so it wasn't really close to being blocked. But they had another that was the the long snapper put it maybe two feet to the right of the punter, which he you know he shuffled to get, hit him in his hands, but he did drop. Picked it up and got the kickoff just a half second before it would have been blocked. Those ended up not being costly. Fine. What was costly was in the third quarter, opening it up, Trey Ford had a spectacular drive. Threw some great passes. On third and five, he has, I mean, a miraculous scramble. Like the kind of thing that that would have been the play of the game had it not, had it not ended in a fumble. And his ball security was atrocious. He he was he was running with it, you know, fully swinging his arms with the ball in one hand. Loaf of bread in it. Loaf of bread, and he got stripped from behind. Yeah. That turned into seven points on the next play, or maybe it was two plays later. I think it was the next play, where an egregious cover error by Shaq Seely, mm-hmm. who bit on the out of an out and up, despite being in deep coverage, after the receiver had already broken on the up. And he, I guess Shaq, you know, saw the out, then looked, had his eyes in the backfield at Aruda, 
saw Aruda winding up, just assumed Aruda was throwing the out without looking back at the receiver. I think they call that a glitch in the matrix, I believe. It was it was like just if you were playing Madden you'd be screaming at the television. Yeah. And stupid lag. I'm sure I'm sure Coach Bird had some choice words for him in meetings the next day. But that turned into seven mm. for Carlton very quickly. That was the uh, very long Dominic Walker touchdown reception that was 95 yards. On the very next play, Tyler Trinowski returns the kickoff and fumbles. So two fumbles by Waterloo in very short order mm-hmm. cause the seven-point touchdown play. And then Carlton on their next drive gets three more points. So that's a 10-point swing for Carlton and really like a minus seven-point swing at least for Waterloo because they were driving. And honestly, like, I don't think it's a stretch to say they would have scored a touchdown on that drive. Yeah. You, you can. Uh, there's an interesting, like, comparison you can make with the offensive output of Waterloo and Ottawa today where, once again, you know, you look at the stats of it and you say, well, you had a, a pretty good offensive output but why doesn't the score reflect that as well? Um, you know, in the Ottawa game, you could make the case that, you know, maybe Guelph defense was kind of the cliched bend but don't break. You know, they were marching the field, but when it counted, they shut them down. And, and for, you know, Waterloo's, in Waterloo's case, just untimely misplays. You know, and, and you know, they're going to happen, but it's not all fumbles, not all picks, not all brain farts are created equally. And in the course of a game, one of those, or in this case, multiple of those, sprinkled in at the right or wrong time, depending on who you're cheering for this one, can just absolutely devastate a game. Because, yeah, you just look at the numbers of this one. It was a you know a beautiful trade forward outing. They dominated time possession. They got the offensive. They got the ball moving offensively. Just couldn't put up the points, though. And yeah, yeah, and this this was a game that people expected to be a shootout and should have been a shootout in the classic sense of it being a ton of points. Yeah. Like I, I, I think if you were guessing at the the point total over under, it probably would have been set at about eighty and a half points. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. And that's what it looked like it would have been if egregious mistakes weren't made. Fourteen points for Carlton, they should have had at least fourteen probably maybe 21 for Waterloo they should have had. Yeah. And all the same, they still ended up making a pretty interesting fourth quarter of this game, coming back pretty quickly um, from being down 18-3 to having a tied at uh, at 18-18. Mm. I mean, not super quickly. It took them it, it took it took them a while. It took them a <laughs> yeah. while, but but it did come down to the wire. Carlton's last drive was an outstanding one. And they they chewed the ball Sorry, they chewed, they chewed the ball. <laughs> they were just gnawing on the ball. No. no, they chewed up the clock, running the ball effectively yeah. on in that fourth quarter, that late fourth quarter drive. And a Domigala field goal, uh, you know, put the game out of reach. Took it home. So that there's really only time for, I think, was there one more offensive play? Yeah, there was one more offensive mm-hmm. play. The kickoff uh, uh, re- was returned for a few yards, and then, the, you know, Waterloo tried a razzle-dazzle play, but they were oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. out of magic at that point. I believe that's called uh, the schoolyard bullshit play. That's exactly what that was. Um, and, you know, a huge game for so many reasons. One, because in the same terms that we described the Ottawa-Guelph game being big, you're talking about, and, and um, yeah, the Ottawa-Guelph game and some of the upcoming games in the next few weeks, games against teams that you're directly going to be competing with in the standings 
and where there's a high likelihood that you will have similar, if not equal records. So those those um, head-to-head matchups is so vital. And taking a look ahead at the schedules for Waterloo in particular, we've got the good old Battle of Waterloo next week, which I'm super excited for, but by no stretch of the imagination, you know, should that... Well, no, I don't think there's anyone probably picking Waterloo uh, like outright in that game. Not to say it, it can't happen or it won't be close, but you know we have talked about that Laurier is still in that tier above them. This will obviously kind of clear some of those things out for us. But then the week after that, they got Western coming to town. And then the week after that, they go to York. Bit of a respite there. But in the immediate for Waterloo, this was a huge game to drop because they could easily, they're 2-1 right now, they could very well find themselves tied with Carlton at the end of the year. Absolutely. They have to be, at this point, hoping for Carlton to eke out some wins against teams that, that they'll be competing with in that sort of second tier so that Carlton doesn't push Waterloo out of the bottom of the playoff race mm. by the tiebreaker, by the, the head-to-head tiebreaker. And Carlton will be taking on another one of those teams. As we as we mentioned, they will be playing Queens next week in Ottawa. Um, we'll see if... You know, the week one, and not not to go back to Queens too much here, um, but, you know, we saw a nice outing by Queens week one against York, and you take what you will when that's the competition. And clearly that wasn't indicative of what, not to say what they're capable of, because clearly they're capable of whatever they've done. But then they went to Laurier, and or sorry, Laurier went to their barn. didn't look so good. Now Queens had a nice outing against a weaker team in Toronto. So now they're playing another strong, a stronger team again. So interesting the way their seasons panned out so far. But um, you know, even with this win, huge game for Carlton. Because um, yeah, Queens is in that mix. Yeah, we need we sure. need to, we need to see if Queens can play against the good teams in this yeah. conference. And Carlton is not an elite team in this conference, but they are a good team in this conference. So that'll be a very interesting matchup, and that'll have massive playoff implications. And you know. A lot of great things you can take away from this game. One in particular for Waterloo, especially when you have a young core, uh, as they do, is to be able to say, you know what, end of the day, you know, the lo- the loss is the loss. That's that's all done with. But this is a game where going into the fourth, I believe the score was something like 18-3. to three. So they brought that back to a game that was, you know, Essentially, you know, it was a field goal at the end of the game that won it for for uh, Carlton. So a lot, you know, way more than just that. Obviously, in terms of positive takeaways for Waterloo, uh, Trey Ford obviously not slowing down anytime soon. Um, but it's just it's just a big loss because it's not getting any easier for them. Um, as I already mentioned, they're going to be playing Western um, in two weeks' time, and Western, I guess that's where we finish off for the week review. Ah, Eddie, I was dreading that this was going to happen. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't want it to happen. There'd been so much nice parody in the league. We talked all about the bottom's been rising, and, you know, you have your top teams, but there's this nice middle class. And Western had that first game against Carlton that looked like, oh, maybe teams can compete with them. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a uh, a democratic <laughs> pol- politician right now when I say the middle class is disappearing. <laughs> No, I, I, that's that's probably not the case. But Western is oh. the super rich in this equation, and they put that on full display against Mac this week. Yeah, final score forty four to six. Um, and I think that I heard this during the broadcast, and it was only partway through. 
but I'm pretty sure it's still it still holds true that now through 12 quarters of football for Mac, they got one offensive touchdown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? It's one of the things that I got watching the film of Mac of, of the game, but specifically watching the Mac offense was they had some open receivers at times mm-hmm. and the ball was not thrown. And that's tough because if if Mac could have scored early, which they had some opportunity to do, this could have been a bit of a different game. I mean, I'm not saying Mac would have won, 100% not. But to the same extent with Queens Toronto, we talk about, well, Queens is already on paper better. When you start off with a kick return touchdown, that <laughs> just automatically tips the scales yeah yeah and 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 western i mean just it was it was all western all day i mean mac was sort of starting to develop a bit of an identity as being able to run the ball they couldn't run the ball at all today and jackson white got pulled for the second straight game in um at, at the half he got pulled he did not have a very good day. Six of 15 for 100 yards, 102 yards. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions either. But just not effectively leading that offense to anything. And, you know, Western almost could do no wrong in the first half and through the rest of the game. But the first half was when it really mattered. It, it was just, it was tough. It was it was a tough watch. It's, it's tough too. Um Especially when, you know, it you, you almost sometimes. I mean, it's an interesting point you bring up on how watching the film, it looked like there was some balls that white or not even balls that he missed, but just opportunities that he just didn't seize. Um, but it's not not all to say that he didn't have a, a great day. You know, maybe his head wasn't on right. But Western's defense, yeah, was Western daunting. Western's defense. This was what we expected from them. Uh, in their first game against Carlton, busted coverages were the story of the day in terms of letting Carlton score early and frequently and allowing Carlton to get up on Western. The coverage was pretty good today. Sorry, pretty good today. Pretty good Pretty good in this game. The defensive line was a terror in this game, as were the linebackers. But the defensive line got back Jimmy Hawley, veteran uh, defensive tackle, and Deontay Knight, who is the Juco transfer defensive end. And they already had, you know, Andrew Thurston as the opposite defensive end primarily. There are other defensive ends in the rotation. Uh, and Mitch Stadnick at defensive tackle is the other starting defensive tackle. And with these two guys, that defensive line went from being good to elite. Mm. And they already had elite linebackers. We've made note of that. Mr. Sopic. And Mr. Fraser Sopic factors a lot in the pass rush. And it was it was just a complete defensive performance everywhere. Mac just could not get anything going. Yeah. It, it's honestly it's 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 funny because we talk about how with some of the weaker teams, it's easy to to overlook some of the talent that's on those teams just because you don't want to talk about some of those games because they go ugly quick. The same's kind of true for situations like this where Western dominated from from the jump. And it's so easy to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, Western blew him out. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's really like start to finish. That's what happened. But, you know, there was great individual outings across the board. 
a guy that I know you were um, mentioning a lot was uh, Valente, obviously getting two picks and. And these were outstanding yeah. picks. These weren't these weren't like poorly thrown balls that the safety was just kind of in the area for. These were Ball he's, he's, he's he's playing he's playing deep zone yeah. and he is making, you know, full speed like 20 30 yard sprints mm-hmm. to intercept these passes. These were brilliant. And he had one other one that was dropped very nearly so a third pick on the day. There's a reason he was given the OUA defensive player of the week. And this is very good news for Western. Because as a rookie last year, he was the understudy to Jesse McNair, you know, two-time, I think, All-Canadian, and a five-year starter for Western, an outstanding, instinctive, brilliant football player who Western graduated. And and, and hell of a football name, too. That's, oh, that's yeah. A... For sure. Yeah. And uh, McNasty, as he was called, <laughs> instead of Aaron McNair. McNasty was a great player. Valenti, he's even more of a ball hawk than Jesse. So maybe he's not quite as physical as McNair. McNair, you know, liked to put people in body bags. He was a bit of a coroner. I guess that's not what a coroner does. But, you know, whatever. Anyway. I thought he played free safety. Oh, <laughs> brutal. Anyway, so Danny Valente looks like the future of the safety position for Western for as long as he, you know, is eligible to play. And that's good news. Otherwise, I think there was there were good games across the board. I mean, you don't. Typically, you don't force picks if the coverage is bad everywhere else. The coverage looked pretty good. So, no, I was I was very impressed with uh, with Danny Valente and uh, the Western defense as a whole. Just looked a lot better. Yeah, and, and offensively, it's it's the usual suspects. Yeah, you know, got Merchant, you got Taylor, you got Joseph, and a better game from the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're they're as I said, you know, two weeks ago, they're breaking in new starters at the right guard and right tackle position, one being a, a first-year player and Zach Fry at right tackle, the other being in his first season playing offensive line. And I and I guess you have to expect a Western O-line to be very good by the end of the year. I wasn't sure if it would be good yet because, again, these just aren't – it's not it's not quite as veteran a group as you'd like with mm-hmm. those with those two guys, the right guard, right tackle. And Dylan Giffen playing left tackle is not his natural spot. He's usually been on the right side. But this was a very good outing, and, and I thought everybody played pretty well. It might have been a bit of a slow start, but they looked good, and they ran over uh, Mac towards the end. And, you know, we kind of thought Max D would be a little more stout than this. Yeah, it had the least question marks, uh, definitely. Well, some some turn quite actually quite a bit of turnover, but from what we'd seen so far, it what we'd like, seen so far was very yeah. promising. Um, so yeah, I'm like we mentioned, Westerns staying at home with uh, York coming to town, and uh, Mac hosting U of T. But before we finish off on this game, uh, <laughs> the coverage of this game, and I'm not not talking about defensive backs anymore. I'm talking about the actual like the coverage by o- on OUA TV, it, it was a Western only production or a Western uh, orchestrated production, and the the flipping thing looked like it was filmed on like a camcorder. Like I don't know, like a sh- like a bad camcorder. Ba- yeah, like like a Android selfie mode. Like you, yeah, like like a Motorola razor. Like like a like a potato. 
essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, like a bad potato. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not even like a sweet potato. You haven't washed this potato numb. off yet. You just pulled Spots it right out of the ground and thought, yeah. Everywhere. Let's see what let's see what it can record. It was yeah. brutal. It was it was really bad. And yeah. I don't really know <laughs> I don't know what the Western Athletic Department's doing because that that's like that's such an unforced error, right? That it's so easy to fix that. So easy. I mean, you just get a decent camera. It's not that expensive. And I don't know the ins and outs of how those deals or contracts work between the OUA and broadcasting those games. I assume they own the rights since it is the OUA. But every other team, it was done by OUA. Western was the only school this week at least that you know did it themselves which you know more power to them like maybe they have i I don't know what type of like um, no no power to them that was brutal (laughs) like if you do a good job and you put it on yourself no problem but that was brutal come on and okay fine i i won't i won't try and i won't try and be nice about it because it it was definitely frustrating i mean the game itself was already hard to watch you're a guelph guy take your shots at lesser (laughs) man do it well okay well then here here's here's my thing too and this is a a shot but it's there is a, a lot of light to it too where when you have such a good product, why wouldn't you want it to look as good as you can in terms of being able to market yourselves? You know, no idea. And, and the whole game, the whole game, every commercial or every uh, like stop in actions, that same video of Greg Marshall talking about the Vanier Cup and all that. And I mean, I'm getting furious for many reasons watching that. Did you know Western again. won the Vanier Cup? I I do now. You do now. I saw it twenty That's times. That's the point. They couldn't they couldn't let anyone know that they didn't win the no, Vanier Cup. No. And then um, that's fair. When you win it, you get that right. But that was it wasn't it was not a great broadcast. I thought the play by play was quite good. Yeah. I thought I thought the the commentary was was maybe some of the best. Uh it's no Marshall Ferguson on the Mac games, but pretty good. Like I, I liked it. So you know, uh, it's a very simple fix. When we have to be picking nitpicking at the broadcast quality and yeah. not what the product was on the field, kind of says something about who we're talking about here. Well, exactly. Uh, my my <laughs> biggest my biggest complaint about this Western team is they don't film it well. So yeah, so that's that's a good problem to have. That is a good problem to have. Um, but yeah, so uh, once again, Mac home next week hosting UFT, uh, looking to bounce back off of a pretty ugly one. Actually, before we leave this topic, <clears throat> we have an interesting situation for Mac because they're home against Toronto and then they're home against Laurier the week after. Now. They've been using two quarterbacks for the last two weeks, obviously, in um, White and Duick. Now, based on what I've seen and just, you know, we gave we gave the credit to Toronto's defense. They have some good players there, but Mac should be in that, or Mac is in that tier above them. I think it's fair to say that either of these two quarterbacks, if you just put them in and said, you're going to play a full game against U of T with the other weapons that Mac has, should be able to put together a fairly good a fairly good outing. But the question is, is that truly indicative of who's better? Because that's something that you seriously need to figure out this week for going to take, if you're going to take on Laurier and make a serious run come the end of the season. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of hard <laughs> looking at just the stats alone. You know, and you don't want to judge based on this game either. Cause this game, you know, you don't, this game wasn't on the quarterbacks. This was just being out classed or just you know out outplayed by a better team well it wasn't on the quarterbacks but the quarterback play was probably the most salient issue for mcmaster and yeah and it's know, been the most if you have great quarterback play that can cover up for a lot of things but nothing can cover up for poor quarterback play really as you know has been shown with guelph i'd say yeah no that's true um so and I- not even that not even that it's been all that bad just it has to be it is 
so far and away the most important position on the field mm-hmm. that if if it's I mean, you know that's that's what we see with Gerard at Windsor is he can kind of cover up for maybe not the best run game because it's a young offensive line mm-hmm. by slinging it around. So if you have a quarterback position set, you know you can you can you can be in games that you shouldn't be in. No, for sure. Um, but you know, regard, regardless of which way they go, they're in good hands with Quinlan and then Flax. Um, so I, I, I have faith, and I know you do as well, for them to be able to figure it out one way or the other. But not, and, not a good, not a good situation to be in. And I'm not apologizing for Mac. I'm not apologizing for this performance. It is worth noting that McMaster was without Tommy Neald, mm. Levi Paul. Matt Hurley and Justice Allen. Probably, if not the four best receivers on the team, four of the five best. Yeah, Neil Neil's been uh, putting up some nice numbers this year for sure. Yeah, he has, and he's a very good player mm-hmm. and very young. And so this is a young team overall. But when you're missing your best receivers, that that could be part of what was affecting the quarterback play. I don't know. I can't I can't say for sure. All I know is something has to be fixed. And uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure they'll get it fixed. But yeah, and like we kind of mentioned, it's a good opportunity with a team like Toronto that you can kind of experiment against mm-hmm. a little bit without risking too too much. And, you know, I'm sorry, not, I don't mean that as a shot against U of T. I just feel U of T is not a good team. Yeah. Like that's not a hot take, and that's yeah. not a shot at any one person at U yeah. of T. It's a bit of a shot at their former head coach. It's a shot I'll take. I mean, <laughs> like they they had they had some decay, I guess you'd call it, and. I think I think their new coaching staff has them going in the right direction, but I think you know like two wins for U of T this year would have been a Herculean effort. So who knows? It's not completely off the table, but you know three wins and 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 Greg Marshall of U of T gets coach of the year. Yeah, you know. So I'm not I'm not. This isn't a, meant to be an insult to anyone at U of T, but they're not a good team. So. If Mac can't decisively beat U of T, they don't have a what's a snowball's chance in hell against uh, yeah. Laurier. No, I, I I completely agree. So a big game. Um, and I guess on that note, that wraps it up for the week three review. Um, so why don't we bring you yeah. some around U sports? It still doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't, it doesn't roll, roll off, off the, the tongue. tongue. Oh my gosh, Jinx! You owe me a Coke. You owe me a kombucha. Stepped up a level. Jeez. Okay. Well, I living that, living my best damn life over here, Eddie. Yeah, trying to keep your macro microbiome healthy. <laughs> Got to keep that gut flowing. So, mm. looking around the um, the country, uh, taking us quickly to Canada West, some interesting games this week. Calgary. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh. Calgary really stepped on UBC's throat. 57 to 7. Like this was it wasn't even a game that UBC just turned the ball over a ton. They just got ruined everywhere. Calgary did something like 350 yards in the air and five passing touchdowns from Sanagra. They ran the ball effectively. Their defense did terrible, unholy things to UBC. And Calgary I think has cemented themselves as being the best team in Canada West. I mean, you know, pinch me if you've heard this before. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) Calgary's a great team. 
UBC, though, expected to be one of the best teams in Canada West at the beginning of the year, returning Michael O'Connor, many of their big playmakers. Didn't see Travel Pinto on the stat sheet. Oh. Don't know what his status is there. Mm. This UBC team, they're in rough. Rough? Tough? They're in something. They're, uh, they're something in trouble. It's not good. <laughs> they're in trouble. And then other games in Canada West. Uh, Saskatchewan beat Manitoba in a shootout thriller, 48-46. to 46. Mm. Two good teams. Don't think either of them will win Canada West. I think it's between Regina and Calgary. Regina, who lost to Calgary last week in a... In a I mean, it was it was close, uh, forty nine to thirty five. So lots of offense from both teams. This week, Regina beat Alberta fifty one to thirteen. Hot damn! So Alberta is not very good. This no. is this is a conference that that it looks to be very much Calgary and Regina at the top, Saskatchewan nipping at their heels, Manitoba right behind them, and Alberta. In the toilet. Uh, not doing much. Those golden bears ain't so golden no more. No, they're looking kind of brown. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, it's a definitely definitely one of the stronger conferences when you at least just look at the power at the top. And and we'll we'll bring that back around and comment on the U Sports top 10. Oh, that was an interesting list. It was. So quickly, let, let's... Yeah, let's, let's uh, let, yeah. Let's cover what went down in the RSEQ, and I guess we'll talk about the AUS too. In the RSEQ, Laval beat Montreal 12-7, to a very classic Laval-Montreal kind of score. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's going to be surprised by that. I, I think, you know, these are routinely going to be, you know, somewhere between the, I think in the rankings this year, the second and Fifth-ranked team. They're going to be somewhere in that range. Yeah, and that game was at um, at University of Montreal's um, barn, too, which we got to play there for a preseason game my fourth year. And they like that place was packed for a preseason scrimmage. And it's it, it, the the away bench is, like, right underneath where all the fans are. And they get after you. It's, it's actually pretty fun. But definitely one of the, the um, you know, unfortunately one of the few places across Canada that haven't been to all stadiums or seen all the games – but where a home field advantage is a realistic thing just because the the crowd gets rowdy, they get after it. I give Mackle a lot of credit for that too. They I like playing a, quite a few games there. They do a good job with their fans too, I find. Yeah. And then uh Sherbrooke traveled to Concordia and fell to Concordia 2220. I I don't want to be dismissive, but I think pretty much anyone outside of Laval and Montreal is not going to be important in terms of thinking who's coming out of the queue. Any given year, it seems like it would have to be multiple catastrophes yeah. for one of those teams to not make it. Well, you know, you, you put that, you put that notion, you, you flip that notion around. I mean, we're obviously very OUA centric with what we do here, and we know some of the ins and outs of the second tier teams, the Guelphs, the Max, the Carlton's, Waterloo's, etc. But from the perspective out west. Maybe they're just looking at the OUA and all they see is Western. Maybe they don't like. Maybe Laurier comes into their consideration, you know. But like, it you're not trying very hard from an out of province perspective if you're looking at the OUA and not realizing Laurier and Western are clearly the two best teams by quite a large margin. Mm. Western's going to get the national respect that they now deserve, having won the Vanier Cup and having done so in such a dominant fashion. When 
Wait, when didn't Western get national respect? Well, for a long time, Western was, you know, we we just, we weren't, um, we, you weren't winning. Well, we weren't winning on the, on the national stage. Yeah. So, which I guess is Western, like... Western gets respect. Now Western is the top dog. I guess it's, it's that type of like lack of respect where the standard's so high that like, you know, it's like, well, you, you didn't win a venue. That's a bad year. That's almost one of those good things. Like yeah. people, if that's what people say about you. So I concede. And we will – I'll make note of the AUS scores. Um, St. Mary's beat Mount Allison 25-13. to 13. Uh, Hooray for them. And uh, Acadia beat Bishops. So Bishops is in AUS now? Is that a- a- Bishops is in the AUS, and this was a mistake I made on the last podcast referring them to being in the RSEQ. They are indeed in the AUS. Which uh, is a fine mistake to make. I mean, that's – Sure. I, I, you know, I, I will not pretend to be uh, someone who gives anything but short shrift to the AUS and the RSEQ outside of Montreal yeah. and Laval. Well, Acadia proved to bishops that the AUS is not necessarily the place for them to come and get wins. Uh, Acadia beat them 39 Despite to 9. Despite what a lot of people probably thought. Well, yeah, exactly. People, I mean, the AUS is not particularly strong. No. Uh, as shown by uh, Western against Acadia last year, but Acadia did dominate Bishops. Mm. So there's that. Now, this is interesting. How did this all bear out in the U Sports Top 10? Well, th- there's a couple interesting uh, ramifications of all that. Uh, Western holding the fort down at number one. Laval sticking at number two. The first switch we've got is Calgary uh, moving up to the third spot out of um, from fifth place. Laurier sitting pretty at four. Um, where they were going into the bye week, and it, Montreal taking the fall from three to five. So your top five, uh, you just had a Calgary Montreal swap, which that all sounds perfectly reasonable to me. Yeah, no problems with that. This is where it gets interesting. This is yeah, the six through ten, and then arguably throwing the honorable mentions is definitely where you get a couple crooked eyes. Six UBC. Uh, that's a joke. That's that's like. You must be drunk. Like I, I don't know who's making this list. I don't know what their their methodology is for coming up with the point system. Yeah, but they absolutely are asleep at the wheel. I well, you know it, that that's that's it's less egregious knowing some of the other teams. One in particular, very dear to my heart. Um, knowing that they're still in the top ten, we'll get to them in a second. Um, seven, uh, St. Mary's jumping in. Um. Uh, maybe they just need some AUS represent representatives. Three come on, come on, man, come on, man. I know that's copyrighted, but come on, man. Yeah, no, that's brutal. Like I, I'm sorry. Like the AUS is not going to be relevant. They're never relevant, and well, or at least they haven't been for quite a while. Yeah. And I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong. But until I am, do not put them in the top ten. No, um, I, no, I, I agree. Um, and then eight, you got number eight, Carlton, where they were last week. Number nine, Sask moving up from 10. Now, the 10th spot. Now, I've kind of given this away, but if you will indulge me. I will. Okay, thank you. Last week, we had Guelph sitting at seven and Ottawa sitting at eight. Now, week three, the GGs took out the Griffins. So one might surmise that given that both those teams were in the top 10 last week and there's only one remaining spot unidentified, that it would only make sense that the GGs hold the 10th spot and the Griffins fell out of the Top 10. That makes sense to me. That that does sound, on the surface, like it makes sense. However, 
to whomever put this list together, that did not make sense as Guelph is sitting at in the 10th spot. Like it just it, it just looks wrong. Like I don't care their intent. It just looks wrong seeing a team on the top 10 with a record of 1 and 2. That's that that ain't right. And then in the honorable mentions, Regina who could very well take off a couple of the teams from this list. Ottawa who should probably take off Guelph. Queens getting a little love and then Waterloo and Mac. I mean, I guess once we get into that territory, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of flippant. Um, Regina is the second best team in Canada West. They have, I think you can make a case, the best quarterback in the country. The case has already been made by him having won a heck Crichton. That's, in, a, that's a nice piece of hardware in, to win. In Noah Picton. And, and he's a very good quarterback. Like when you watch him, you'll be thinking, hmm, if this guy were three, four inches taller, we could be talking about him as having a chance to be a Canadian quarterback in the CFL. I actually remember I was with the, the Rough Riders last year. So I was out in Regina and I spoke to one of the, the player personnel guys. He was a scout. He said from watching the film, he thought Noah Picton could have a chance in the CFL, mm. which is a pretty bold love thing to, to say. Love to hear that. Right? <clears throat> and obviously his height works against him. He's a small guy. But now doesn't really matter for U Sports, has proven not to matter for him playing in U Sports. The fact that Regina isn't in sort of the top six just seems silly. Yeah. Western and Laurier, the two teams from the OUA you need to have in your top five, Western being one, Laurier being four, Montreal and Laval. Always. Two play two teams you have to have in the top five. Until proven otherwise, they're the two relevant teams from the RCQ. Calgary and Regina absolutely have to be in sort of the top six. Let me ask you, actually, mentioning Calgary there. Do you still ever get nightmares of Calgary? Oh, you went there. You <laughs> bastard. No, yeah. <laughs> That's... Uh, what Zach is referring to is a <laughs> absolute that? annihilation that I, as a part of the Western Mustangs of 2013, suffered at the hands of Calgary in Calgary. Yeah, that was a nice little snow globe game, right? Oh, I heard was... all the Western excuses like, oh, they were wearing running shoes. We were wearing cleats. We're... That's why we lost. I'll tell you, all the excuses are real. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, probably wouldn't have even mattered. But here, here... Like, like they were all, they all made it worse, but uh, I'm not going to get into it. If it makes you feel better, the funny thing with all that is... So that that was my third year at Guelph, and I, I was still rocking out on scout team. And I remember, uh, so you guys dominated Queens in the in the Yates Cup that year. Yes, we did. That well, you pretty much dominated everyone in the OUA. Yes, uh, we also did that. Yeah. <laughs> so I I remember I remember one day, uh, I think it was the last game of the season for Guelph. They're they're playing in Kingston. They're playing Queens, and a bunch of the scout team guys we got together at like the campus bar, watched the game. We were super hyped, all this stuff, and Queens slapped them. And then I think the teams met again in like the quarter semifinal in the playoffs queens ran over them again and as i mentioned you guys took their lunch money kicked their dog everything then you guys visited calgary and they did that to you but that's not where it ended on this trip because then calgary played laval and the vanier and they ran over them so i just remember like by the end of that year like be on scout team at guelph and we're just like man like so we're the backups to the guys that Got beat by the guys who got beat by the guys who got beat by the guys who got beat by the champs and just 
Oh man, so I, I'm I'm I I I share the pain in, in in the memories some of the memories from that year, except you know you got a nice little ring nonetheless. I didn't. Oh no! Shit. You see, the thing is. Oh my goodness! Most OUA programs don't get rings for their Yates Cups. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. That's a Guelph special. That's the oh yeah. That's the that's the twenty four carat special. Hey, you know, smoke them if you got them, I guess. Hey, it's in the back room. I'll bring it out anytime you want to see it. You want to cry a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, but that's the U Sports wrap-up. Um, definitely a lot of fun stuff happening around the league, um, which will just be all the more exciting come uh, all the bowl games and playoffs. But to to bring it back, OUA, let's just take a look, uh, run through the games for next week here. We already mentioned them to some degree. We have Toronto visiting Mac. And and I, I guess we should we should say that while we had issues with the scheduling this previous week, arguably not as bad as the fact that this week every game's at one o'clock. I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like Oh well the NFL has like a lot of games at one, so maybe <laughs> we should do that too. That must no! be like a good time to play football games. That must yeah. They have thirty two teams. Yeah. How about this? How about a one o'clock, a four o'clock, a seven o'clock? Sprinkling maybe maybe another one o'clock yep. maybe another four o'clock or, or a Friday maybe, nighter or a Friday nighter I lo- I'd love me a Friday nighter how about that yeah what I mean what a novel idea if, we could I could watch more than one game yeah without having five screens open and if they're gonna if they're gonna make Windsor travel to York on three days rest anyways anything we just threw out there is feasible but yeah. uh, we'll digress Toronto visiting Mac Queens visiting Carlton. Uh, Waterloo, Laurier, the Battle of Waterloo. Um, this has got to be the game of the week or one of them in, in the mix for week four. I, I, on paper, I'm taking Laurier, but I think we're going to learn some stuff for sure. Absolutely we are, and it'll be an interesting litmus test for Waterloo. From last year, having been blown out by Laurier by, I forget what the score was, but it was at least a 40-point differential. Mm. That's probably the game of the week. The other game of the week in consideration for me is... Carlton taking on Queens. I think that that will tell you a lot about the middle of the conference and will have massive playoff ramifications. So those are the two games that I'm keeping my eye most closely on. Yeah, in terms of playoff ramifications, definitely those two. But as I alluded to, uh, a game I'm very interested in for more than the fact that it's my uh, alma mater is the Guelph-Windsor game. You know, we obviously have seen Guelph's offense sputter at times, and we've seen that Windsor's offense can, you know, put up points. But the X factor in this game is OCQB coach for Windsor, Matt Nesbitt, my former teammate at Guelph. He coached there for a year last year. You know, there's a lot of personnel and a lot of coaching staff that's been at Guelph now for a long time. And they've had success. And sometimes, you know, when that secret sauce is working for you, you don't necessarily change the recipe. And he's tasted it. He's helped build it. That could be a huge X factor, not just from a standpoint of him, you know, controlling the offense, but man, he knows he knows their offense. He knows the guys they have on their uh, on their offensive line, personnel across the board. He recruited half that team for them, and there just isn't enough sample size on his offense. Even if for some reason Guelph could shut down his offense, which mm. maybe they can, but. There just isn't enough tape on him to really have an idea of what he's going to do. Yeah. We know it's going to be pass-heavy. Sure. But the concepts, the protections, everything could change a little bit yeah. and make it a little more difficult for Guelph. So 
a very interesting coaching matchup there. No, it, it's it really is. I'm I'm super excited, and you know what? Like Guelph could end up. This could end up being like the game against York, where they maybe they struggle for a bit, but they end up winning handedly. I could also see this being one of those games where even if West if Windsor doesn't take it, maybe Guelph is forced into like a late field goal to like take the lead, and they end up winning. I don't know, like twenty to eighteen, just something like you you look back on it. It's like why was Guelph in that game with Windsor? Well, because aside from some, you know, some issues on their offense uh, in the passing game. I uh, got to tip my captain Nesbitt on that one. So uh, definitely another interesting one. And um, last game, York-Windsor. Not much to say on that one. <laughs> York-Windsor? Oh, my gosh. York-Western. Oh. We're going to cut that one out. Yeah, probably. Yeah, York-Windsor playing twice this season. Yeah, back-to-back weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, York Western, don't watch it. It won't be enjoyable to watch. Even if you're a Western fan, there are more interesting games to watch around the OUA that'll give you a better sense of what Western will be up against later in the year in Laurier and other playoff-bound teams. And if you are a Western fan or a York fan and you are so inclined to watch this game in some form or fashion, please go to the game. Yeah, uh, this is not going to be a nice it, game to watch on broadcast unless... Unless they got my message at the athletic department. Yeah. I've been spamming them. Yeah. Not only that, but I've always kind of, I felt like Western's home crowd, you know, has has left a little to be desired. Well, not last week. They had 7,000 out. Oh, well, hey, I'll, I got, I can't. I know, I know they're, they're making a better effort to get people at the games. It's sure. It's really, it's an odd issue Western's had with attendance the last few years because, you know, back in 2013, 2014, it was yeah. roaring. I mean, 13 specifically, roaring attendance. Yeah, I mean, also, too, when, like it's such a football factory just in terms of like talent coming out of that city that you'd expect that there would be uh, you know, a high contingency of uh, locals that are just into the sport. Uh, you would think. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed that, you know, the best team in this conference and, well, as of now, the best team in the country gets the gets the media representation and the fan base that uh, such a such a team deserves. Um, but, yeah, that that's your week four. In the OUA, Ottawa, of course, with the bye. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's everything we got. Yeah. Uh, corrections, anything you think we need to represent, storylines we're missing, please. We are interested in that. And if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're an ACG hound, you want to drop a tasty scoop on us, you know, you're about to drop it on the on, on the forums, oh, you know, let us know too. Like, maybe we'll give the you the worst. shout out. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a host, you know, the, the, the word toxic gets used a lot these days. That's a very toxic environment on ACG. Um, yeah, the house asbestos built. <laughs> but, on, you know, it, it does show that there are there is interest in this in this league, though, and in, in this game. So, um, yeah, however, however you're consuming it, hopefully it includes this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at the 55 podcast. Um, sort of an emotional mesothelioma from uh, ACG. I have no <laughs> idea what those words meant, but uh, mesothelioma—that's the thing you get if you've if you've been inhaling asbestos for a long time. Well, it doesn't sound good, um, so I'm gonna go get checked out because I was on ACG earlier today. <laughs> so uh, once again, I'm Zachary Bader Shamai, and I am still Eddie Meredith, and we are still at the 55. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>